Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. First John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ, uh, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I don't know if you ever heard of the Greek word koinonia. Um, I know there's some churches, I, there's a church in California, they had a koinonia service. And uh, it's, it's a Greek word, obviously. Um, it comes from a Greek word meaning to share in common, to have fellowship with, to partake with, to partner in, and to be in partnership in. It's kind of a kind of a mix of all those meanings. In other places in the Bible, it actually refers to sharing of resources, um, a mutual interest of each other. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, the early church, uh, they collected money, contributions, uh, to share on behalf of some of the poorer churches. There was just that sharing in common. That was, it was also called koinonia. Um, in First John here, verse 3, that word koinonia is translated fellowship. And uh, it's the significant theme for today's message, message is fellowship. It shows up twice in verse 3, then again in verse 6 it's mentioned, and then finally in verse 7 it's mentioned. It's mentioned four times in this first chapter. God invites you and I to be in partnership with him. He wants to share his infinite resources with each one of us, and he's interested in you, he's interested in your heart, he's interested in your life, in fact, every aspect of your existence he is interested in. Um, he wants you to be interested in him. And so he desires koinonia with each one of us. He offers it, that fellowship. Now, John, in his letter here, he first of all, he establishes the basis for fellowship. What is the basis for fellowship with God the Father and also with fellow believers? Well, the basis for fellowship is who Jesus is. That's the basis. And what he has accomplished for us to make fellowship with God possible. And so that's where we're at in the beginning. He's, he's making this, this basis or this case for the basis for fellowship. And so in verse 1 he says, that which was from the beginning. Now what he's not talking about is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, from the very beginning that I met him. That's not what he's talking about. He's not even talking about the beginning of time. He's talking about in the beginning before time. In fact, in John's gospel, John 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus Christ, 
the pre-existent son of God, he took on the form of man. And this is what John is referring to in the beginning there. And then he came, he became flesh, he was born a man, and he lived among them. And so the disciples, John, he says, we've heard. In other words, uh, you know, we've listened to his teachings, They came to understand that he truly was the son of God, especially now before his resurrection, they were kind of, you know, they were, it was kind of hard for them. But after his resurrection, man, it became abundantly clear that he was the son of God. It says, we have seen with our eyes. Now you think about it. Jesus chose, prayerfully chose 12 disciples and they went with them everywhere he went. They were with him pretty much 24-7. There's a few times in scripture where Jesus went alone to pray. But other than that, they slept with him. They ate with him. They traveled with him. Uh, they, you know, everything they did, they did with him. And you know, if you're with someone 24-7, after a while, you get to know them pretty good. Husbands and wives, you know, you know each other really well, right? Children and parents, families, you get to know someone well during that time. So they got to know Jesus They could watch him when he was in season and when he was out of season. He says, we have looked upon. And that word means to wonder. Sometimes it's it's translated gaze, but it means to wonder, to behold, to view attentively, to contemplate. You see, the disciples, they carefully contemplated who Jesus was. I mean, they were investing their life in him. As, as his students, as his disciples. So they really wanted to understand who Jesus was. It says, our hands have handled. And you recall, after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to many of the disciples, but Thomas, one of the disciples, wasn't there. And they said, oh, we've seen the risen Lord. And he says, well, I'm not going to believe it unless I touch, unless I physically see his nail prints in his hands, and if I physically touch them. And so the next time Jesus appeared, when Thomas was with him, and said, hey, Thomas, come here. Check it out, man. Touch him. Feel him. And so he says, we've handled, we've handled the Messiah. We've handled Jesus. Now, what John is doing here, he's addressing a heresy that had crept up in the church at that time. There was a heresy, and it was called docetism. And what the, what the heresy was teaching was that Jesus only seemed human. He really wasn't human. God didn't really become a man. It was like a, a spirit that was there. He only seemed human. His, his life his death, his resurrection was really just an illusion of, of reality because God didn't really become a man. That, that was docetism. Well, we know from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, we're told, therefore, in all things, speaking about Jesus, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to pay the penalty for man's sin, God had to become a man. He had to become like us in all things. And in Hebrews 4.15, it continues and it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I mean, he was like us in every aspect. He was even tempted like we are tempted, except with one difference, one exception, and that was that he didn't sin. Why? Because he had to be the sinless, he had to be sinless to be the substitutionary sacrifice for us. Because if he had been a sinner and he died, he would have just died for his own sins. But he died for all of our sins because he was the perfect substitute. 
In fact, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, which is Jesus, for the unjust, which is you and I, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So this this heresy that crept up, John is addressing this in this letter. Jesus' physical life, his physical crucifixion, and his bodily resurrection from the dead was absolutely necessary for you and I to have fellowship with God the Father. It was necessary. That's the basis for fellowship, is who Jesus is and what he did for us. And so John continues, he says, concerning the word of life, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus didn't just tell them about eternal life. Some people say, well, you know, Jesus was just a great teacher like Muhammad and like Buddha and like all these other people. Jesus didn't just tell them about eternal life. Jesus wasn't just some great teacher. He literally manifested eternal life to them. That's why Jesus says in the Gospels, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so... The disciples had fellowship. John's saying, man, we we have fellowship with God the Father. Of course, it's through Jesus Christ. And we also have fellowship with one another, the, the rest of the church, the body of Christ. And so John says, we have that fellowship, and this is his letter. We are inviting you to have that same fellowship, not only with the Father, but with us. And so he says the first purpose for this letter, look at verse four. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. How many of you want full joy today? Well, you say, well, I want to be happy, but but happy is based on circumstances. How many of you want to have joy? You know, fullness of joy is possible for each one of us here this morning. It's possible, but it's not inevitable. It's not inevitable. We've known, maybe you have, I've known, and probably maybe you're here today, you're believers who have lost their joy. They just... External circumstances, things have happened in their life and they just robbed them of their joy as believers. Others, man, their internal thoughts and their attitudes have robbed them of their joy. They've lost their joy because of their their own hearts. Sin will cause you to lose your joy as well. Well, the path to fullness of joy is true fellowship with the Lord and true fellowship with other believers. You want joy in your life, you need to be in true fellowship. Well, how do you know that you have true fellowship with God the Father and with fellow believers? Because you know, many people claim that fellowship. Many people say, man, I'm, I'm I'm a Christian, you know, I've got that relationship. Well, John here provides the test for fellowship in the following verses. In verse five, he says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Did you catch what John said here? This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. In other words, John's not making it up. It's not his opinion. It was Christ's message to the disciples. 
In fact, in John 15, 11, it says, these things, this is Jesus speaking, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. That was Jesus' message to the disciples. And now the disciples, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. The, The Holy Spirit has descended upon the church. The disciples, the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit. And now it's their message to their readers. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Think about this. If you were to describe, if someone said, hey, can you describe God to me? How would you describe him? How how would you adequately describe God's holiness? He's really, really holy. Or how would you describe uh, his perfection? Well, man, he's, he's like the most perfect person? Well, he's not really, he's the most, you know, how would you describe him adequately? How would you describe his truthfulness? Well, John here is doing that. He's trying to describe all these attributes of God. And all he can say is, man, God is light. God is light. Think about that. Again, that's not John's opinion either. In John 8, verse 12, John's gospel, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, it's fascinating to me. John here, a lot of his quotes, or a, a lot of what he's saying, it comes back from his, the gospel of John. You know what that tells me? Is that as John's a student of Jesus Christ, as he's in fellowship with Jesus, you know, his relationship, it's actually now it's flowing out of him to his readers. What he's received, he's giving it out. And you know, that's a principle in ministry. You can't give out what you yourself haven't received. Think about John. He was one of the inner circle of apostles. He was one of the, the top, not the top, because as far as you know, status, but he was one of the inner three, the, the ones that Jesus brought with him in some of the most intimate places. He's the one, the Bible says, whom Jesus loved. He's the one who stayed and watched the crucifixion while all the others departed. He's the one that Jesus said, John, you know, take care of Mary when I'm gone. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He's the one, um, yeah, he's the one who was entrusted in the care of Mary before he died on the cross. John was in such close fellowship with the Lord, he's the one that received the revelation of Jesus Christ on the island of Patmos. See, John was in such true fellowship with the Lord that, that he received these things and now he's giving it out. And so to describe God's holiness, he just says, man, God is light. Think about that. He's perfectly holy. There's not, and there's an, there's an, uh, let's see, he's perfectly holy. There's, there's no presence of any evil. There's, there's absence of any evil whatsoever in him. He's just light. To describe God's perfection, he's pure light. You know, there's, there's, there's no imperfections. To describe God's truthfulness, again, God's light. The Bible says there's no shadow, there's no variation. He's just blazing light. God's glory, man, it's just dazzling, brilliant, blazing light that outshines. I mean, that, to me, that's, that's an adequate way to describe God. He's, he's light. And he goes on and on and on. And so the first test to know if you're in true fellowship is the test of light. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Well, in the Bible, walking, it doesn't mean just literally walking, although it does mean that in some cases, but it just means your course of your life, how you live your life. 
Do you walk in darkness? In other words, is there sin in your life? Are you walking in unconfessed sin? Are you living, are you practicing sin habitually? You know, you cannot possibly be in true fellowship with God if there's sin remaining in your life like that. It's just, you're not going to have that true fellowship with the Father. It says, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. You know, there's no, there's no variation. There's no hidden. There's no, there's no like sunspots on, on God. God is just pure light. You cannot live in hypocrisy and be in true fellowship with the Father. And if you're not in true fellowship with the Father, guess what? Joy is going to be missing from your life. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I don't have, I, I, I've lost my joy. This is a good thing to examine your own life. Where are you at right now with the Lord? Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we're living our lives in holiness, in purity, if our lives are like a light to where the others, you know, we shine in the, around the world around us. I mean, people look at our lives and they go, man, there's something different. He must be a believer in Jesus Christ. If we're walking in truth, not only free of deception and hypocrisy, but if you and I embrace and practice biblical truth, in other words, you hear the word of God, it has an impact on you, and then you practice what you learn. If you're doing these things, not only are you going to be in true fellowship with the Father, but you'll be in fellowship with all other believers who are walking in that same light. We have that fellowship together because we're all, we all have the same goals. We all have the same, th- man, we all want to serve the Lord. We all, want to, we all want to see the lost saved. And then he says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you think about that, you know, light reveals things that would otherwise be hidden in the darkness. Um, you know, this, when you come in here at night, uh, the, the, you know, we got circuit breakers back here that turn on the lights in this room. We got circuit breakers in the back. Turn on the, you have to, I've, I figured out how to do it now, but you have to kind of walk through the dark and hope you don't stumble on anything to turn on a light switch. You know, but as soon as you turn on the light, man, you, oh, wow, man, I almost stepped on that. Whew, you know, light reveals obstacles in our path. Light reveals things that are hidden in our darkness, in darkness. And as you and I walk in that light, in God's light, any sin in our life is going to be exposed. It's going to be revealed to us. Now, not always all at the same time. God is a gracious and merciful God. He's not going to just dump everything on you. But he, as you grow in the Lord, as you're walking, he's going to reveal, hey, this area in your life, we need to deal with that. There, that area in life, you need to deal with that. And it's a progressive, it's an ongoing thing. In fact, the verb here, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I did some grammar education. I, I educated myself yesterday, believe it or not. That verb cleanses is present active indicative. You guys know what that means? I had to look it up. I didn't know what it meant. Uh, but what it basically means is the blood of Jesus Christ, it keeps cleansing or is able to cleanse. In other words, it's not just a one-time deal. I, I confess my sin. I've been cleansed. That's true. But it also continues to cleanse because Light reveals darkness, reveals that sin that is in our lives. You know, there are some believers in Jesus Christ that they believe that once, you, once you're saved, you're, you're perfect. And they call that sinless perfection. You no longer sin anymore. Well, this definitely counteracts it because Jesus Christ's blood still cleanses sin, our sins. 
You know, it's a progressive thing, that work of the Holy Spirit. It, it, what, what God is doing in our life, it's leading to what we call, or what I call, practical sanctification. Now, you, when you come to faith in Christ Jesus, when you, when you confess your sins, you, you, you invite Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, you believe that he died on the cross for you, at that moment when you've turned your heart around, you've repented of your sins, and you've turned to Jesus Christ, you are positionally sanctified. What I mean by that is, if, the, if, you're, if, that was, if you confessed your sins and you're, you know, put your trust in Christ and that was the last breath you took and you died, and maybe you were an alcoholic or you, you know, just robbed a bank or something, but now you just gave your heart to you, you're sanctified. You're going to heaven. There, there's no probationary period like, well, we've got to make sure you get your act straight first before we allow you. No, you're positionally sanctified before God. But we're being practically sanctified as we walk in that light the Holy Spirit revealing things in our lives. You know, there, there are things sometimes in my life, and maybe you've experienced that too, I'm sure you have, where, you know, for many, many years or days or weeks, wherever you've been going on, and all of a sudden the Lord reveals to you, you know, that's sin. And then you have to choice. Am I going to deal, am I going to confess it and repent of it and turn away, or, or am I going to keep hanging on to it? And that's that progressive, that's that practical sanctification. But I like what it says in Proverbs 4.18, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter until the perfect day. It's kind of like I was trying to communicate to the kids this morning, you know? There's change. You come in here, there's always something. Okay, what's new? It's it's always a surprise, right? There's there's something changed. But it's each change hopefully is getting better it's like man i'm starting to see the church come together i'm starting to see how the classrooms are going to look i'm I'm starting to see how everything's going to fit together well it's the same thing in your and my life as you and i are walking in the light man hopefully we're changing and we're becoming more like jesus in our lives but you know by the way that term walking i said it's the course of life but you know it implies action Um, we're not sitting in the light stationary, but we're walking. It's a dynamic thing. We're moving. We're growing. If you're just sitting there and you're not growing in the Lord, you're not growing. You have to, there's action involved. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So for those who say that they're sinless now, uh, that they're perfect now, they're just deceiving themselves. It's, they're just They're wrong. They're deceiving themselves, John says. You know, sometimes as Christians, and I know I like to do it too, you know, I I hate to use the word sin in my own life. You know, like I sinned. I know usually I would say is, ah, I made a mistake. Or, you know what, I'm just human. Or, you know, everyone makes mistakes. You know, we try to excuse those things in our life. You know, hey, no one's perfect. Haven't you ever said things like that? I know I have. You know, when we do that, when that's our attitude, we're in a dangerous place. We're in a dangerous place. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15, 1 Timothy, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's the apostle Paul. That's the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. That's the guy who's like, you know, next, he probably... Better than the Pope. I don't know if I'm getting in trouble for saying that, but you know what I mean? I mean, that guy's like, like better than Billy Graham. I mean, he's like the Apostle Paul. And he didn't say, you know, I was a sinner. He says, man, I am the chief sinner. So the truth, God's truth, 
is that we are sinners in need of salvation. And when we sin, look at the next verse, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't learn any verse in the Bible, learn this verse, memorize it, cling to it, claim it in your lives. If we confess our sins, man, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Man, those that's, you know, and there are people out there that say, I'm not a sinner. Well, they're calling God a liar because God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the bad news in this chapter is that sin is the hindrance to our fellowship with God. But he continues, because we're going to go a little bit further into chapter 2, and he gives us some good news. My little children, chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, he says little children. You know, the Apostle John was probably fairly old at this time. And you could just sense his compassion for the people that he's ministering to. You know, he was, I don't know if he was the last, I think he was the last living apostle. But, you know, all the other ones died a a horrible martyr's death. And they tried to, uh, as Diocletian, I think, was tried to um, actually, you know, martyr John tried to kill John. He put him in a vat of boiling oil, but he, he survived it miraculously. And uh, so it wasn't like they tr- didn't try to kill him. They tried to kill him. They, finally, they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. And that's where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. But he was probably a very old person at this time. And so as he's writing these letters, you can just sense his compassion, my little children. Then the second purpose for his letter, remember the first purpose was that you, your joy may be full? Here's the second purpose for John's letter is that you may not sin. You see, God's desire for you and I is that we don't sin. Um, we don't have to sin. It's not inevitable that we have to sin. But the problem is we still have that flesh, right? That weakness in our flesh. We have that carnal nature as long as we're in our bodies and and we struggle. There's that war that goes on. Paul writes about that in Romans. So John is saying sin doesn't have to be inevitable. God's provided the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us in our weakness. But just as sin does not have to be inevitable, we also don't have to be in this inevitable, perpetual state of broken fellowship with the Father. He's provided a way for you to get back into true fellowship with him. So he says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What's an advocate? It's one who comes forward in behalf of and as the representation of another. In other words, he's our lawyer. You have a lawyer. You have legal representation this morning. Did you know that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I used to work with a guy, and uh, he was kind of always running these side businesses. And one of the businesses that he wanted me to, to, to buy into was uh, um, prepaid legal 
things. He's like, well, you know, he would try to scare me. Well, you never know. Somebody falls by your house, you get this big lawsuit, or, you know, your wife divorces you, or this or that happens. You, know, you need a lawyer. And if you pay it in advance, man, you've got legal representation right then and there, you know. And uh, I was too broke to, to pay for legal, pre-legal. But, you know, we have that in Jesus Christ. We have a lawyer representing us right now. He's our advocate. Now, I don't know how many of you were here, probably quite a few of you were here last week when Sammy Tanago was sharing a little bit of his testimony. He grew up in Egypt. He, his family was lawyers. His, I think his brother's like on the Supreme Court in Egypt and stuff. And, and he grew up uh, learning law, Sharia law, and uh, his job was to represent drug dealers. And you know, a defense lawyer, what do they do? They try to prove that their client is innocent. But he said, man, everyone I was representing was guilty. And so it was just, it was, he had this struggle in his heart. And so that's when he came to the United States. Um, a defense lawyer's job is to prove his client is innocent, even if he's guilty. Well, Jesus, our defense lawyer, doesn't try to prove your innocence. Because guess what? You're not innocent. None of us are innocent. He doesn't try to convince the father that we're innocent. In fact, he is the way and the truth. If he said, hey, they're innocent, he'd be lying because we're not innocent. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of, the Father, of, glory of God. Instead, he doesn't say we're innocent. He admits we're guilty. But then he comes forward on our behalf as our representative for us. Because guess what? We're guilty as sin. <laughs> but he's paid the penalty for our sin himself. That's why he says he himself is the propitiation for our sins. It's kind of a long word, what does it mean? Well, because Jesus is righteous, uh, yet he paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross, he satisfies God's righteous wrath against our sin by a sacrifice. It's kind of a long thing, but that's about the best way I can describe propitiation for you. You can Google it if you want later. Um, but, you know, when, you, when, I, when I said that, that, that Jesus, you know, his death satisfies God's righteous wrath against sin, I want to communicate something to you. Jesus didn't come to satisfy the righteous wrath of an angry God. Because some people think that. Well, God's this angry person and Jesus came to pacify him. That's what propitiation is. No. Listen, for God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. See, Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the elect, but he died for the sins of the entire world. No one is prevented from confessing their sins and receiving forgiveness. No one is. God's, the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the price has been paid once and for all, the just for the unjust. He, he paid the penalty for everyone. But not everyone receives the, the forgiveness because they, not, not everyone have come to realize that Jesus is the Savior and have put their trust in him and have repented of their sins and confessed that he's Lord and Savior. They have refused to accept Jesus as their legal representative. They don't want that prepaid legal assistance. So the first test of fellowship, remember in chapter 1, was light. Are we walking in the light as Jesus walked? The second test of our fellowship is here is knowledge. Do we really know Jesus? How can we confirm if we truly know Jesus? And when I'm talking about no, because a lot of people say, well, I know about Jesus. No, do you know Jesus in a relational way, in fellowship? Well, verse 3. 
Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's pretty simple, man. If you obey God's word, if you do what God's word says. Verse four, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So if you say you know Jesus, you have a relationship with him, and yet you're not keeping his commandments, the Bible says you're a liar, and there's no truth in you. See, you see, it may be in your head, but it isn't in your heart. If you are keeping his commandments... The love of God is perfected in you. Now that's not saying God's love is perfected in you because God's love is perfect. What it's talking about is your love for God. Now notice what John didn't say. I think it's interesting. John didn't take the opposite argument. In other words, he didn't say, if you're not keeping his uh, his commandments, there's no truth in you. But if you are keeping his commandments, well, there's truth in you. He didn't say that. Did you notice that? That's because... It's true, though, the truth is in you, but it doesn't end there. You see, when you know the truth, the truth about yourself and the truth about who God is, you understand his love. Man, God loves you and I so much. He extends grace. That's unearned merit. Man, I don't deserve God's love, but he gives it to me freely. His mercy. Man, I deserve hell, but Jesus Christ is merciful to me. When you start growing in those things, you understand the truth of those things, that's the motivation for your obedience. That's what motivates us, the love of God that that motivates us to obey him. And so as we are walking in the light, as we're obeying him, man, that that motivation, it it grows in you. And man, as you go through, you, you, you blow it again, you ask Jesus to forgive you, and there he is, he forgives you again. Man, he's like, man, God, you are so merciful. And as you grow in that, that motivates you, that that love of God, man, it's getting perfected in you. Man, I love God more now than I did before because he's been so gracious to me. He's been so merciful to me. He who says he abides in him ought uh, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Our lives should mimic Christ's life. You, You think of Christ, man, his love, his patience, his truthfulness, his obedience. He came to serve, not to be served. Our life should mimic that in Jesus. Our life should mimic Jesus Christ. Verse seven, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. In other words, the commandment to walk in the light, to obey God's word, it's not new. God all along, even in the Old Testament, he wanted his people to be in fellowship with him. He wanted them to obey him from the heart. Remember he gave, gave them the, the, the rite of circumcision, you know, cutting away the foreskin. He said, man, I want, you to, I want you to cut away the foreskin of your hearts. I want you to have a, just get rid of the, the callousness of sin. I want you to have a, a soft heart towards me. That was all the way in the Old Testament at the giving of the law. So it's not a new commandment. However, in another sense, it is a new commandment. That's what he says here, verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. See, it's an old commandment. That was God's goal all along, but it's a new commandment in the sense that God has now provided a way for you 
to be in that true fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. Because it's true in Jesus and it's also true in you. Because why? Because the Bible says you and I have died and our lives are hidden with Christ, with God in Christ Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. He's making that possible for me to have that fellowship with the Father. Verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness is blinding his eyes. You know, you could be sitting here this morning and I could say, well, there's a test of true fellowship. Are you walking in the light? You go, man, yeah, I'm walking in the light. Okay, are you in obedience to God's? Oh, yeah, I'm in obedience to God's words. Well, here's the next question. Do you love your brother? Oh, well, no, not really. Well, that's part and parcel of the whole thing. Do you love your brother? Then you're truly, if you say no, then you're truly not walking in the light. Remember what Sammy shared last week. I like kind of piggybacking what he said, but he person came to Jesus in the Gospels and said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And you know, as Christians, we get that. Man, I, I'm, I'm to give my whole heart, my life. I'm to love Jesus with every aspect of my life. I get it. But then Jesus said, that's the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. In other words, it's another great commandment. In fact, it's when he says those two commandments, this is it. That everything hangs on it. He says, you shall love uh, your neighbor as yourself. It's just as important. God doesn't only want you to be in fellowship with him, but he wants you to love his children. I'm a father. I have children. I don't want to see my four children hating each other. I want them to love each other. God's a father. He wants you and I to love one another. And it doesn't just mean Calvary Chapel people. <laughs> It might mean the Baptists down the street or the Lutherans that are, you know, lukewarm that we go, oh, those lukewarm, you know. God wants us to love his children. If they're truly children, then we're to love them. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love each other in this fellowship. You know, if you have, a, if you have something, if you're at odds with someone here, Paul says, you know, before you go to the altar, or I think Jesus said it actually, before you go to the altar, man, go to that person, man. Get right with them, you know. Get that, restore that, fellowship with them because that's all part of having true fellowship and guess what when you and I do those things we're going to have that fullness of joy that John is talking about we're going to stop there this morning